Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Um, I am excited to be here with you guys today. My name is Joshua Scoyne. I'm the worship pastor. I want to say hi to everybody here in the worship center. Also, everybody that's watching down in the theater, hello. And those that are with us right now online as we are live streaming, kind of fun for me. This is my first week uh, doing a live stream message, and it feels pretty good. Um, you know, this was kind of a fun thing. A couple weeks ago, Paul and I were having a conversation, just to give you guys a little bit of a behind-the-scenes look, and he told me, he's like, man, I'm, I'm a little jealous that you got this message this week. You see, I wasn't supposed to speak this week. No, Paul got it in his head that he needed to go on vacation or something, like the man needs a break every once in a while, and when he found out his vacation dates, they flipped the weeks, and I ended up with this passage, and he looked at me and he said, I'm kind of jealous because you've got one of the best chapters in the whole book of Acts. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Cool. And as I started to do my research, I realized, oh, he's right. This is now one of my favorite chapters in the book and, and kind of a turning point, at least for me, in the New Testament. So I'm excited to share with you guys today what we've got going on in the series of Ends of the Earth as God is bringing the gospel, as he's bringing the truth of his message about Jesus to the world. And it is spreading like wildfire. We are here with uh, the Apostle Paul's missionary journey as he travels throughout Greece. Okay? This is a really big deal because Paul has left his home of Israel and Jerusalem. He is now in the Greek world and he is traveling. Last week we were learning about his time in the town of Philippi and Thyatira. When he was there, he, he was beaten. Him and Silas, he was beaten and then he was imprisoned and while he was there imprisoned, rather than mourning, rather than grieving, rather than just sulking, they sang. And they had themselves a worship night right there in that jail cell. And they sang praises to God. And the other prisoners there heard it. And the, the, the jail guards heard it. And then God sent a miraculous earthquake that was so strong that the doors busted open. And the chains that were around their wrists and their ankles fell to the ground. And then that jailer and his whole family put their faith in Jesus. This incredible miracle. God is working in a land that is not Israel to show people his might and his power. So that was last week. From there, he continues on to the city of Thessalonica, then Berea, and finally, today, he arrives at the great city of Athens. Athens, Greece. This one's fun because a lot of the cities in the Bible, as we're hearing them, we may not have much familiarity with what we're hearing about, but I think every one of us in this room has at least heard of Athens, Greece. You should. It's kind of a massively important place. This is the birthplace of democracy. This is the home to some of the greatest thinkers of all time, but especially in the ancient world. We're talking about poets and philosophers and mathematicians, brilliant people, to name just the big three, Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, men whose ideas we still have informed our current culture, have informed so much of the West and what we have grown up with today. It's here in the great city of Athens that we watch the Apostle Paul give an absolute masterclass on how to share the gospel. And he does it in a unique and beautiful way. There's a couple of questions that come up as we read through this passage that I want you to ponder. One being, how do we share our faith with people from a different culture? How do we share our faith when someone has a completely different worldview than us? Now, as soon as I ask that question, most of our brains go to this idea of foreign missions trips of tra traveling to other countries or other continents and thinking, oh yeah, their cultures are so different than ours. 
But you and I, living right here in the Chippewa Valley, we have a mission field. It is this area, it is this region, it is the people around us. And Christians, we need to acknowledge that the culture around us is different than it was 50 years ago. The culture has changed, the culture has evolved, and in some ways when, when, when we go about sharing the gospel, we're still using old tactics when the culture has moved to what is now called post-Christian thinking, where concepts and ideas about the Bible, um, uh, it's not based on something that they read or they experienced maybe themselves, it's, it's, it's false, it's kind of broken, it's, it comes out of pain and hurt and bad experiences in the past. And so when we reach out to those around us, do we consider the culture that steeps and is completely surrounding us, the one that we live in? How do we engage those around us? And here in Acts chapter 17, we're going to see how Paul does this in a beautiful way. Importantly, I want you to think of this. When we share our faith, we need to consider our audience. We need to consider who we are speaking to. Here he is, the Apostle Paul, some 2,000 miles away from Jerusalem, and he is talking to these Athenians that come from a completely different worldview. I want you to think about this for a second. They were raised in a polytheistic culture, all right? We were raised in a monotheistic culture. So was Paul, meaning we've, we've kind of raised in a culture that roughly believes in one God, okay? That shapes your opinion. It shapes how you view the world. But they believed in the Greek pantheon, and very different views about how the gods worked and who they were. These are people who don't know anything about the Jewish scriptures, okay? There's no background context. There's no biblical background or biblical literacy for Paul to appeal to. And I think we should also consider that now today in our context, the people around us, there doesn't tend to be any biblical literacy, People didn't just grow up in such a thing of believing that the Bible is true. That's something that maybe was true a few decades ago where, where you could appeal and say, well, the Bible says this, so you should believe it. And people generally thought, oh, okay, well, that seems truthful. But today, that argument doesn't hold the same kind of water. So how do we engage a culture who is post-Christian, a culture that has a different worldview and perspective? And I want you to watch this as we go through this passage. The Apostle Paul does two very interesting things while sharing the gospel in Athens that I want you to hold on to. Number one, he doesn't bring up the Bible or use a single scripture reference at all. Not once. There, I was waiting for like a, <gasps> but fine, you guys don't need to do that. This is a moment, this is a turning point for us here in the New Testament because if you look at everything that is written before, you have the four Gospels, and in them we're learning about Jesus, right? And we know that, that largely they were being written to uh, the Israelites and the Hebrews, we, but the book of Luke in particular was being written to a Gentile audience. But even in those Gospels, there are references to the Old Testament of how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament of this Messiah that is coming. It's all wrapped in there, and there's context, and it's all built in. And then when we get to the book of Acts, everything before this point, think about Pentecost. When Peter is talking to the crowd, and he's giving that amazing sermon, and 3,000 people believe that day, he's bringing up all of this context and all this stuff about the Jewish scriptures that they would have known and cared about and loved and valued, and he is bringing it all to say Jesus is the fulfillment of, of all of it. And we see every moment, even when, he's, when people are talking to Gentiles, they're including it, they're including it, they're including it, until right now. And the Apostle Paul doesn't use that strategy. 
Why? Because they don't know it. Because there's no background context. And not only do they not know it, they so far have no reason to respect it or to think that those scriptures have authority. So he goes for a different tactic. So one, he doesn't bring up the Bible. He doesn't use scripture references to convince them. And two, to strengthen his argument, Paul actually goes a different route. He quotes Greek poets and philosophers. He quotes their writers. He quotes their thinkers. And I want you to remember for a moment, we're talking about pagans, okay? These writers that he pulls from to make his case and to make his argument and to help them understand are pagans. They worship the Greek gods. Other Jews who would have seen this tactic by Paul might have thought this was heresy. They might have thought he was doing something sacrilegious. But he's doing something beautiful here, something powerful. Paul is looking for common ground. They're already starting at such completely different places. The Greeks over here and the Jews over here. It feels like this incredible chasm that separates them. And Paul is trying to create a bridge. He's trying to find a way to bring unity and to show them, no, 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 no. You are not so far away. Here, let me bring things that you can understand. He studies their history. He studies their culture so that he can understand the very people that he's trying to reach with the gospel. This is important. What he is doing right now in Athens and throughout the rest of Greece, this wasn't about some quick conversion for him. He didn't look at them as, as, as one more city and think, okay, I just need to get a few of them to believe real quick. I'll start a church real quick and then I'm gone. Okay, That wasn't his mentality. No, Paul loved them. He loved the Greek people so much that he went to incredible lengths to find this common ground, to study them, to know them, and to try to create bridges so that they could understand and grasp and see the truth of Jesus, even though they didn't come from a context that could see it before. And this so connects to right now, how you and I should go about sharing the gospel today, looking at the people around us and understanding that if we just try to appeal to say, well, no, no, you should believe in Jesus, because look, here in the Bible it says, if they don't know it and they don't respect it, and they don't see it as authority, that argument doesn't help. So how can we show them Jesus through other means, through other contexts? And that's what we're going to see Paul do masterfully right here in this passage. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we come to you, and God, I ask that you would open our eyes. I ask that as we read through this chapter in the book of Acts, that you would help us to see what Paul did, and why Paul did it, and help us to, to imagine our world, our Chippewa Valley, how we could love people better, how we could reach out to people with love and compassion and grace and understanding and desire so badly for them to know you. Help us to find common ground. Help us to build bridges. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's get started. We're going to start in verse 16 of chapter 17. Verse 16 says this, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, this is his traveling companions, we're talking about Timothy and Silas. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols that he saw everywhere in the city, okay? When it says this, historians, by the way, I did like a, a dumb amount of research on this because I like Greek mythology. If anybody likes Greek mythology and like that history, this is going to be a fun one for you. So I was digging into this stuff. Historians believe that at this time in history, Athens had about ten to 20,000 people in the city, all right? Compare that to thirty to 40,000 idols in the city. 
in case you weren't quite getting that, that is two to three times as many idols and shrines to all these gods than there are people. There's actually a a Greek quote that says it's easier to walk on the street and see a deity than it is to see a man. So when Paul is looking around the city, when it says he was troubled, it's not like he saw like one there and then a couple miles later like, oh, there's another one. No, no, no. Everywhere he looks, lining the streets and the marketplaces and the businesses, he's seeing idols and, and, and it gets to him. Because remember, the Israelites have a very dark history when it comes to idols. Their God said that you will not worship anyone but me, yet over and over and over again, they've given themselves over to foreign gods. And when they have, they've built these idols, and then they were taken over by other nations, by other armies. And so this would have burned inside of Paul. He would have seen this, and he would have longed for them to know something better. So it says he was deeply troubled by all the idols that he saw everywhere in the city, and he went to the synagogue, to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. And he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. I want to point out that line. He went to the synagogue to reason. He wanted to have these conversations with these people, and he wanted to reach them. And he didn't just do it through fluff. No, he, he used reason to make his case. Remember, this is Athens. This is a city of intellectuals who pride themselves on their ability to debate and to argue and to ponder the greatest ideas of their time. And he goes in and he's ready and he is prepared. But it also is an important reminder, Christians, that we are not called to a blind faith. We're not called to just believe because a Sunday school teacher told us to or a pastor told us to or a parent told us to. No, God invites us in to discover and explore and to understand him deeper. It is a privilege to use our minds to engage our faith. Paul himself, he was an incredibly well-educated, he was an intelligent man. We know he would have memorized the Torah and been able to understand so much of the Jewish scriptures. He spoke multiple languages. So here he is challenging people to think deeply, to seek out truth, to discover, as Timothy Keller would say in his book, to discover the reason for God, to apply our minds. And so I think this is a challenge for all of us, that we should not be afraid of the intellectual pursuit of God. When we were children, we believed as children, but as we grow up, we move away from just simple things like milk, and we move on to solid foods, and we discover, and we explore, and we grow deeper. It's a beautiful challenge and a beautiful call for us. I also want to point out that here Paul is speaking in two completely different arenas. It tells us that he is speaking to the Jews and the God-fearers in the synagogue. Now, if you've been listening to much of our Acts series, Paul has talked about the God-fearers a bunch. These are Gentiles who would stand in the back of the synagogue, and as, as the messages would go and as the readings would go, they'd be listening because something had caught their attention, and they were interested in this God. They hadn't fully converted to becoming Jews themselves, but they were very interested. So these were people already who were leaning in, who had context, who had understanding. Okay? So he's speaking to them in the synagogue, but then he goes out and speaks to crowds of Greek citizens, of Gentiles with no context of the Bible, in the public square. And I want you for a moment to imagine the different kind of strategies that he would use in those two places. In the synagogue, he is talking to an audience who gets it, who has heard about this promised Messiah, 
who understands all these books of the Old Testament and can see as he's trying to draw connections, oh, that's where he's going with this. That's interesting. But then when he's out in the crowd and he's having these conversations with people with no background, he has to use a completely different strategy. And we're going to see how he does that. And I want to point out another important thing here. Paul shows us the importance of investing time on those who are within and on those who are without. On those who are within and those who are without. What do I mean by that? We could imagine that the easier people for Paul to speak to would be the Jews and the God-fearers. Here he is traveling to another country, and here's a whole group of people who kind of get him, who kind of understand his culture. There's already a starting point. Okay, and, and let's, let's just go for them and let's leave the other ones. We'll, we'll get to that some other time. But that's not who Paul is. That's not how his heart works. The importance of going after both and loving both and seeing the value. And how does that relate to today? You want to know who the easiest people in the world for me to talk about Jesus with is? It's you. The easiest place for me to talk about Jesus is up here on this stage because the majority of you, maybe not all, but the majority of you have put your faith in Jesus or at the very least, there's something in you that is hungry and curious and wanting to know more about him. But you know what's difficult is engaging the culture outside of these doors, is engaging the people outside of Jacob's Well Church. And Paul shows us, let's not just show partiality to one group and ignore the other. No, instead, he's showing them that all of them are created in the image of God. All of them are valuable, and he's going to go after them and reach out. I'm telling you, this chapter is good, okay? Let's continue in verse 18. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers when he told them about Jesus and his resurrection. They said, what is this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas that he's picked up? And others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. So he's talking to these two groups, just to give you a quick understanding of who these people are. One group is the Epicureans, okay? And their goal in life was the pursuit of pleasure and tranquility, okay? So, so pleasure and, and peace, basically avoiding pain at all costs. They believed that everything had evolved from the material universe, okay? Everything is physical is what they thought. Even those that believed in the Greek gods, they imagined that the Greek gods themselves were part of the material universe. What I mean is they're very much human. They're very much like us. There's nothing about them that is heavenly or above or other, okay? So that's the Epicureans. I want you to imagine they're very earthy folk, okay? But then you've got the Stoics, And they are on the exact opposite side of the spectrum. They saw the gods as greater than the material, greater than the natural. And they believed that the universe was, yes, held together by Zeus. But they also believed that the universe was held together by reason, by logic, by rational thought. So one group is very earthy, very scientific. You can see some of their roots even in today. And the other group is very conceptual. It's very about ideas. And just imagine, here Paul is trying to engage a different culture, and they don't agree on some of the most fundamental questions about reality and who we are and where we are going, yet he has to somehow engage all of them. So in verse 19, he continues, Then they took him to the high council of the city and said, Come and tell us about this new teaching. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. 
So they bring him up. It says to the high council of the city. Where they brought him up is this place called the, the Areopagus, okay? Um, if you enjoy mythology, this is the hill of Ares, or in Roman culture, um, the connection to Ares is Mars. If any of you have heard of this sermon as Paul at Mars Hill, that's where this comes from. He's up at Mars Hill right now. Um, and he's having this conversation. Where this is, it's basically the Supreme Court of Greece, Okay. And he's there amongst their greatest thinkers and also those that are very capable of accusing and throwing you in prison or having you killed. And he's having these conversations. And in verse 21, it tells us that these Athenians, they love to spend their time just discussing the latest ideas. Imagine, and again, this isn't so different from our day. Here Paul is trying to share with them about Jesus. What he believes is the single most important idea ever. And he's got an audience that's listening and going, oh, that's interesting. Okay, all right. So now let's go talk about this other thing. And here he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. These other things, they don't compare. But this is an audience of people who just wants to muse. They just want to play with different concepts. Everything is open. Nothing is out of bounds. Does that sound familiar? It's very much like our modern culture now today. Verse 22. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens... I noticed that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one that I'm telling you about. As he begins to speak, pay attention to what he does. The first thing he does is he affirms them. He says, I can see that you guys are religious. I can see that this matters to you. The spiritual, you care. Okay, and that's great. There's some common ground here to start building. And as I walked through your city and saw all of these shrines, I noticed one that was interesting because this one didn't say to Zeus or Poseidon. No, this one said to an unknown god or goddess. And I want you to know that this god that you've been kind of reserving a spot for, he has a name. Let me tell you about him. Now, Paul had done his homework. This is cool. This is stuff that I never knew before I had to study for this thing. There's actually a historical event in Greece that happened 500 years before Paul showed up, okay? Here's what happened. A plague came into the city. This thing was deadly, and no matter what they did, they couldn't seem to stop it. Plagues. Man. Um, (laughs) Wonder what that's about and what that feels like. Um, The Athenians wanted to get rid of this, so they're, they're like, okay, here's the solution. Let's sacrifice to our gods. Now, remember, there's a whole pantheon of them. So they go one by one, and they're making these sacrifices, and they're doing these prayers, and they're doing these rituals, but nothing happens. The thing doesn't go away. People are dying in droves. And then one of their great thinkers, his name was Epimenides, came up with an idea. And he said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Maybe there is a God that we have not heard of yet. And if we sacrifice to that God, maybe the plague will go away. And they did. And lo and behold, the plague went away. Okay. Paul here is quoting an event that the Athenians would have known very, very, very well. And he's bringing that context and saying, you know what? You've already heard of this God. You already have some context with this God. Now allow me to fill in information for you. So in verse 24, he is the God who made the world and everything in it since he is Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs for he has no needs He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. So Paul here is saying, let me tell you about this unknown God. 
that God who saved you from the plague, he is the source of the material universe. Remember, he's talking to the Epicureans and the Stoics. They would have had all these debates about the nature of reality. He's saying, okay, this God, he is the source. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. And this God doesn't need anything from you. This is important. In a lot of of, uh, polytheistic religions, there's this concept that the gods require worship. They need it. They need worship. They need sacrifice. If the people uh, hold back, the gods' power diminishes and eventually they might die. Okay, that's, that's one of the important concepts. And Paul is saying to them, no, 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 that's not this God. Yahweh, the God I'm telling you about, he doesn't lack in any way. He doesn't need anything. And then he says, That God, this God, created all nations through one man. Remember, he's trying to close the gap between these Greeks who feel like they're so different from this Jew. And he's saying, no, 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 no. We all have one common ancestor. You and me, we are family. And this God we're talking about, he is the same God that is over all of us. And this points to an incredibly important thing that people need to understand when we share the gospel. It's this beautiful point that every last human being you have ever met is made in the image of God. They have inherent value. It's beautiful what Paul is doing here. In verse 27, his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Have you ever read that passage and wondered what the heck Paul's talking about? This is a really cool reference. That they would feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Okay, I told you that I did some really nerdy studying about some of the Greek context. But it makes this part come alive. I always wondered, what does he mean by feel their way toward them? Okay, this is important. Paul loved them so much that he read their greatest writers and their leading thinkers. He, he found out what they were famous for so that he could make all these different points of context. That passage about feeling their way toward him comes from one of the greatest classics ever, Homer's The Odyssey. Some of you had to read this in school, okay? The idea is from the story about the Cyclops. Yes, Paul used this. And I'm not just like making this up because he actually uses the exact uh, tense and everything of the word. Um, In this story, there's a Cyclops, okay? And there's a hero in the story. His name's Odysseus. And they're going to die. And so they need to figure out what they're going to do. And so they manage to stab the eye of the Cyclops. The Cyclops becomes blind. And then in the story, it says that the Cyclops began to grope about in the dark. Other translations say, feel its way toward Odysseus so that he could get him, okay? Paul strategically uses the same word, and in case you haven't quite got the connection yet, this is a great quote I found from Paul Gould. He is a professor of philosophy and apologetics. He said this, it's as if Paul is saying, in our sin, we are as blinded as the Cyclops. Nevertheless, because creation is still here, we have an obligation to feel after God, to find him even as we can't see him. It's kind of this idea that God has already revealed himself in the world around us through creation, and eternity has been set in our hearts, and there's something in in all humans that should recognize there's something more. And if we just feel after God, he will reveal himself. Anyway, it's, it's cool and nerdy and great. The next line in verse 28 is another quote. I told you about Epimenides earlier. That's the guy about the unknown God, the whole sacrifice. He wrote this quote, For in him we live and move and have our being. 
which he quoted verbatim right there. Also, in case you want to look this up later, there are three um, great questions in Greek philosophy that are summed up in that one line. That's cool. And then the final thing where it says we are his offspring is from a poet named uh, Aratus, who was writing this actually about Zeus and wrote, for we are indeed his offspring. And Paul is trying to make a point here that even though some of your poets got the person wrong, they got the identity of the author wrong, they did perceive some truths about this one true God. Again, he's pulling from so much context because he loves them, because he wants to create a bridge, because he wants them to see the truth. In verse 29, and since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. Paul begins this whole appeal very gently. Starts off super gently. He affirms the good that he sees in the Athenians. But now, he is turning a corner. And he's introducing to them the concept of sin. The concept of accountability to a higher power. We don't get this because we're not Greek. But at this time, this was super important because this concept was super fuzzy in Greek philosophy. They had very different perspectives on morality. On what is right and what is wrong. We need to remember that they didn't have any example of a god that was supremely good. The Greek gods were very human. They were very fallible. Um, If they looked at Zeus as one of their greatest gods, I mean, man, not a great example. This guy made horrible messes of people and nations, and and, um, it was was a mess. Um, So they didn't have a concept of holiness. There There was no measuring stick to compare ourselves. When we compare ourselves to the god of the Bible, we see perfection. We see a God that is set apart, that is 100% good. And when we compare ourselves to him, we see our own failings. And that drives us to long for a savior. There's so much that Paul has to bridge here. They had different concepts about eternity. Is there an eternity? All this sorts of stuff. Paul begins gently, but then he starts to challenge them to reevaluate their worldview and to consider another reality. All right, one last little stretch here, and we'll finish the passage. 32, when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them. But some joined him and became believers. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the council, okay, the council being this uh, Areopagus, this great supreme court. So one of them put his faith in Jesus and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So, how did this go for Paul? Success? Failure? Some commentators have thought that this wasn't very impressive. Not a ton of people put their faith in Jesus. I want to point something very important out here. Some sneered and mocked, some wanted to hear more, and some believed. Please hear this. Every one of us who is brave enough and courageous enough to engage the culture around us and share the truth of Jesus, there will always be mixed responses to the gospel. There will always be mixed responses to the gospel. It is our job to faithfully present the gospel, share what Jesus has done in our lives in a way that can be understood by the culture around us. And it's the Holy Spirit's job 
to actually save them, to convict them, to bring them to a point of faith. This is important. Many of us have learned about evangelism or we were told from a platform about, hey, you need to go share your faith, you need to go make disciples, you need to go do all this stuff, true and good. Unfortunately, we have built up this concept in our brains that we need to go have a conversation with somebody and we need to get them in one conversation from zero to ten. Zero being they, they don't have any connection with God, they don't know him, there's, there's no love there whatsoever. And ten being a fully devoted disciple and follower of Jesus. And somehow we've got this idea that our explanation about God, about sharing what he's done in our lives, has to be so compelling that someone who has never heard of him, has no context of him, is going to completely change and be like, all right, cool, I want to follow him with the rest of my life, I might become a missionary, this is going to be great. You know what I'm talking about. Some of us have been in classes about this. And I, I, I think if we look at our own spiritual journeys, we would realize that that's not usually how it works. It can. Those moments are miraculous and powerful. But if we're honest, for the majority of our lives, we, we moved up kind of a number at a time. Maybe we had a conversation with somebody or we went to a great summer camp or we would listen to a powerful message or something happened in our lives that was powerful and it moved us from a point of like maybe four to five, or maybe four to six, and we became more interested, more engaged, and more curious about God. If we're honest, the majority of us didn't have just one single person in one conversation convince us to believe in Jesus. But if we think back on every conversation, on every sermon, on every book that we read, on every experience that we went to, for many of us, we're, we're up in the hundreds and maybe thousands of conversations and moments that pushed us further and further, helped us get closer and closer to Jesus. It's a process. That's the reason why here at Jacob's Well we talk about faith as a journey, not just an event, not just a moment, not just a prayer. And so when we share our faith with somebody, they may, in that moment, say, okay, I want to believe in this. And then we, then we think, I did it. I succeeded. But they very well might be like, cool, all right, thanks, I'm not there yet. Does that mean you failed? No. That is so dangerous. No, 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 you just helped. You just planted a seed. You just were one of the people who got to help water and, and mature this thing and, and bring it closer and closer um, um, for someone to believe and to know. One sows and another reaps. It's not about, we have to get rid of this all or nothing mentality. So when we look here at Paul and his message to the Athenians, did he fail? Absolutely not. This is one of the most powerful moments in the entire book of Acts, maybe the entire book uh, in, the, in the New Testament. Now, if we compare it to Pentecost, just think about what was happening there. On the day of Pentecost, Peter is standing up in front of thousands and thousands of people. He shares this message about Jesus and then, Miracle of miracles, 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus that day. And we look at that and we say, well, that was a success, okay? But we forget the context. Who were those people who believed in Jesus that day? The people in Jerusalem were already Jews, very religious and devout Jews. They had traveled to the city to celebrate a religious festival. They were eager. They were part of the inside crowd, and they understood when he was sharing all this stuff See, see, God had already teed up the conversation. And what, what Peter was is he had the wonderful joy of being that person who got to see the moment when the harvest came in. 
But when we compare that to Paul here on Mars Hill, we see him talking to people with absolutely no context whatsoever. He is sharing Jesus and the whole concept of monotheism and complete worldview, shifting, changing stuff. And two of the most prominent people in the city put their faith in Jesus. Many others say, let's continue to have this conversation. A church is built there, and it continues to build and to thrive. And the Greek world is transformed little by little, step by step, from zero to one to two to three. You get the picture. It continues, and it goes on and on. So, us today. This isn't just a message of what Paul did and how cool it is. Every one of us in this room who call ourselves Christians, we have a mission. We have a calling to go out and make disciples of all nations, but absolutely starting in our own mission field first. And when we go out and with bravery, we see people with compassion and love, we consider the culture that they come from, and we just share with such love and such grace and such tenderness. And we hold on loosely knowing that that one conversation, they might not completely change their whole lives, but we just planted a seed. And they just moved a little bit closer and a little bit closer and a little bit closer. And you had the joy of playing a cameo role in God's plan for that person's life. This is powerful stuff. So for next steps, got a couple things for you guys. First one is this. There's a worship night coming up on February 14th. Very excited about this. This is our first worship night in a year because COVID is mean. (laughs) And we are so excited to have an opportunity to join back together with you guys and do a worship night and praise. This is going to be different than anything we've done before because there's two times. There's five o'clock and seven o'clock. It's also going to be a nice long one and long in the good sense. It is an hour and a half for both of those. And we have some beautiful songs chosen and some powerful moments. We are so excited about this. Now, Space is going to be limited because we're still going to be following restrictions. The chairs will be set up like this. We're still going to be wearing masks and all that. So we're only going to be able to fit so many people in this room at a time. So for the first time, we're going to be using a ticket system for people to essentially reserve their spots. If you are interested, you can go to the Connection Center right after service. I will be there. You can have a conversation with me if you have any questions about how this is all working. Um, And we'll give it to you. Now the tickets are free of course. Um, And so you can pick them up today, right after service, or you can pick them up throughout the week in the church office. If you want them, you need to come out in person um, so we can see you and we'll get your name down and all that jazz. Please only take tickets for those that you know are coming. Please don't say, oh, I've got 10 friends and I want to invite them and like two of them will show up because then those, we don't have spots for those other people. So um, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be powerful. And I just want to challenge everybody. Yes, I'm the worship pastor. So of course I care about this. We need this. We need this as a people, as a church. We need to come together and find our hearts reignited and and, and to feel passion and to be so excited to be in his presence and just to spend that time in prayer. This is going to be a beautiful night, and I want to encourage you guys to come out. We are going to be live streaming it as well. So if you're not able to make it in person or if you prefer to experience it at home, we will be live streaming both of those times. The second thing is this. Uh, It is group launch this week. If you are interested in joining a small group, being a part of community, of finding ways, man, after such a long season of feeling so distant from other humans, how can we re-engage and find meaningful connections and build each other up and push each other towards Jesus? Um, Groups launch is available right out at the Connection Center. You'll see when you get out there, the screens will direct you to which side's which. Um, But you can find out information. Check out what's available there. Let's pray. Jesus, you are good. You are 
everything. You are powerful, and we are so grateful for your power and your love and your wonder. And I pray in the same way that Paul so loved the Greek people that he would invest heavily in who they were in their culture and their context to build bridges. Would you help us to build bridges with this culture that surrounds us? Help us to love them. Help us to see the importance. Help us to see that they were made in your image and you want every person to know you, to have redemption, to have hope for eternity. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.